Thanks, John. Good morning again to everybody. Great to see everybody. Really is. And again, let's be sure to keep those who are away traveling uh, from us at this time, probably starting to come back our way. Keep them in your prayers. And um, remember all of those in the prayer list as well. If you're visiting with us today, we're so thankful for you being here. You are a great blessing for us. We pray that it will be a great blessing for you being here and worshiping with us. And uh, Worshiping God and giving him glory through our worship and our time together. If you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us say or teach, please ask us so we can help you understand what God's word says. We keep saying we just want to be the church we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so we seek to give God glory and to serve him and to reach souls with the gospel through that particular dedication. We really do. I want us to think about truth this morning. And truth is something that, boy, I tell you, in our culture, especially right now, but I don't think it's unique to right now. I think it's been, <laughs> been pretty much the way of mankind almost since the beginning. But it seems like as time goes on, especially during this particular period of time, we really want to bend the truth a whole lot to suit ourselves. We don't really necessarily like to have to deal with the reality of truth. And so we keep trying to change it. I still remember, I've mentioned this maybe a few times over a great many years, but not very often. I remember as just a little kid basically sitting, you know, in, in one of my uh, sisters and, or a sisters or brothers home. And, and one of my brothers-in-law at that time was something of a mathematician and uh, something of an engineer. And, and somebody had come out and said that, that you know, Two plus two does not necessarily have to make have to equal four all the time. And I still remember his chagrin talking about that and saying, basically saying, there is no way that two plus two ever will not equal four. And I understand that. Well, whoever brought that out, they, you know, they let that go pretty quick because it's really a, a statement in absurdity. But will do other things that are kind of subtle and, and, and kind of unspoken to do about the same thing, to try to twist the truth or change it or blend it with something that is not true. And what we need to come to understand is that truth is always narrow, always has been, always will be. When we read about what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, about there being a straight gate, a narrow way that leads to life versus a broad gate and a wide way that leads to destruction. He's talking about that way to destruction, which he's personifying there as hell. That way, that way has no, no rules. There is nothing about truth that, that, that hinders anybody or restricts anybody on that way. But that straight path that leads to life is the way of truth. And truth is always narrow. And that's why it's straight and that's why it's narrow because truth is always narrow, always narrow. Well, our spiritual destiny depends upon our present correctness. That bothers a lot of people as well. A lot of people, they wanna just have a broad-based kind of feeling of being okay and that should be okay with God as well. They don't want to have to really 
confine themselves and restrict themselves to that principle that truth is narrow. But our spiritual destiny depends upon our present correctness. And our present correctness is connected to the history of our present spiritual position. How did I get here? Why am I at this particular position or point in my life that says this is the way of truth? Well, where did your church come from? We need to stop and think about that. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. We probably don't use that particular phrase around the kitchen table at home or sitting in the family room at home, maybe kind of just discussing things a little bit. It doesn't come up in our conversation ever, probably. Sound doctrine. It means basically true doctrine. True doctrine. And what does the word doctrine mean? That sounds like a technical word. It simply means teaching. Simply means teaching. So seek those things or speak those things which are proper for true teaching. Whenever we're thinking about what does God want me to do? It's not a matter of what feels good to me. It's what does God say to me through his word? What has he had written down for me being his true word for me to believe and then also to practice in my life? God's word is truth. Now, how did I get to where I am in my spiritual life right now? Why am I what I profess to be? Is there objective truth in my mind? Now, I'm not talking about subjective, which means feelings primarily, but is there objective truth? As the, as the Bible states, what faith is based upon, substance and evidence. Is there objective truth? And that's Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Is there objective truth for my spiritual belief system, or am I just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, so to speak? Whatever feels good to me at the moment and then is, sub is subject to change at some other moment in my life. How did I get to where I am in my spiritual life? Where did my church come from? What is its history? More and more, polls and statisticians are telling us that fewer and fewer people feel the need to be connected with any church whatsoever. Just do the, what they think is, is okay, is good, what feels good to them. But it comes down to why did God send his son then to this earth to establish his church? Matthew 16 and verse 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. Why? Why did that church come into existence when it did and in the way that it did? Following exact prophecy from our Lord and Savior. Luke 24 verse 47. Well, where did my church come from? What is its history? Who was its founder? Where and when was it established? What is the basis for what it believes and teaches and practices? I'm not sure a whole lot of people think about these specific points that are very central to determining truth when it comes to our spiritual lives. Well, let's think about some things, some basic points. What is the history of your church. Okay, 
we want to ask this question. If your church was founded by anybody other than Jesus Christ, you're in the wrong church. Now, what about all those people who don't even believe in Jesus as being the Savior, the Son of God, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Jewish people, and a host of other religious persuasions as well? If your church was founded by anyone other than Jesus Christ, you're in the wrong church. There have been a whole lot of people who have just established churches. You look at all the different names and you might wonder, where did those names come from? They're not names that are attributed to the Lord's church anywhere in the scriptures, but people keep bringing up new churches with new names. Well, where'd they come from? In Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 16, Jesus stated, notice, he's asked the apostles, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're, you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. But Jesus then asked them particularly, specifically, who do you say that I am? They'd been with him for some time by this time, listened to his teachings, being groomed to, to be the apostles who would carry the gospel throughout the world, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He's not saying he's going to build his church on Peter but on that confession of faith in him as the Christ, the son of God. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and even death is not going to keep it from happening. Now that's how emphatic the statement is. And it's his church. He is the spiritual head of the church, which is his body. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, speaking of Jesus, which is his body, the fullness of those <coughs> of him who fills all in all. Jesus is the head of the church, the only scriptural head of the church. And when some religious group says, well, we've got this head over here, we've appointed so-and-so to be the, the head or the, the, whatever it might be, the presiding authority over the church, that's unscriptural. And therefore, it's ungodly. Or there is this, this synod or this council or whatever it might be, some organization, and they are the ones who oversee the church and all over the place, whatever church that is that goes by that particular name or follows that particular, uh, that particular persuasion, they're the heads of it. They're going to tell us what to believe and how to believe it and what to do and so on. That's unscriptural. You don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of his church. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers. And Paul is writing this to Christians, to the church. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow, citizen, uh, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being the church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the fundamental basic point of the beginning of the building of a structure. 
is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a, a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is also the head of the spiritual house, which is the church. This building is not the church. This building is a facility in which the church comes to meet. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, you also, he's speaking, Peter is writing to Christians, individual Christians. And he says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he says, you are the church. I like a statement that a, I read from a brother who, a brother in Christ who was a gospel preacher, I, I became acquainted with that down in Louisiana. And much later, many years later, I, I read a statement from him and he said, it's the people, not the steeple. And that's exactly dead right. It's the people, not the steeple. This is just a structure. You are the church. You are the church. So you think whatever the church is supposed to be, whatever the church is supposed to do, whatever the church is supposed to believe, whatever the church is supposed to teach, that's your responsibility. You are supposed to be that. You are supposed to do that. You are supposed to believe that. You are supposed to teach that because you are the church. So we need to understand these basic fundamentals. Now, here's a big question. Can you find your name, the name of your church in the Bible? Colossians 1 and verse 18 says that he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the first place of honor. You see all these different churches, again, that come up, they're established by somebody. They got all kinds of different names, all kinds of different names. Why? Where'd those names come from? How do those names give Jesus the preeminence, the first place of honor? And then we read Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, and, and Paul the apostle was saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now, we should never look at that as some kind of a denominational type name, but it is descriptive in identifying ourselves as the church as belonging to Christ. And that's a good representation. That's a good statement of identity. So if your church was founded by anyone other than Jesus, then you're in the wrong church. And that's, that statement is made not by way of, of, you know, putting you down. It's just a, a statement of truth that you need to stop and, and process in your mind. If your church was founded by anyone other than Jesus, you're in the wrong church. Go a little bit further. If your church was established any time other than 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, and anywhere other than in the city of Jerusalem on that day, 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, following his death, burial, and resurrection, then you're in the wrong church. Where do all these churches come from that believe different things, teach different things, call themselves by different names, and practice different things doctrinally? In Luke 24, beginning with verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, 
to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus is making this prophecy and giving this instruction on the very day that he's ready to ascend back to heaven. Following his death, burial, and resurrection, and then appearing on the earth, arisen for a period of 40 days thereafter. He's ready to go back to heaven now. He's telling the apostles, this is the, this is the instruction, but also the prophecy. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Beginning at Jerusalem, in a specific place. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Until you are endued with power from on high. The apostles were given this great commission to preach the gospel everywhere throughout the world, but beginning at Jerusalem. And he tells them, wait there in that city until you are endued with power from on high. Well, Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 45, verse 4 rather, and reading through verse 5, they did exactly that. Being assembled together with them, he, that is Jesus, commanded them to depart, to, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And this goes back to John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. But particularly verse, chapters 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus promised them that he would pray the Father to send the Holy Spirit once he left them and that the Spirit would guide them into all truth. And help them to remember all the things that Jesus had taught them during the ministry that they shared with him. As he was teaching the word, the gospel to people all over and at the same time teaching them. And so he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence or not many days from now. Well, they waited in Jerusalem just as Jesus had instructed them to do. I don't think they understood, they knew how long they were supposed to wait there. They just knew that their master had told them what to do. Wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power from on high. So verse 12 of Acts chapter 1 says, They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. It wasn't a very long walk for them to get back into the city. And they waited there. And they waited day after day, just as the Lord had instructed them to do. Now, then 10 days later, on Pentecost, they were endued with the power from on high. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Those apostles were. Not everybody there, but the apostles were. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole place, the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, upon each of the apostles. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in, their, in his own language. And immediately 
when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, those apostles, they began to teach this massive crowd of Jewish men who were gathered there from all the nations of the earth, the known world at that time. Now, what did Jesus tell them to do? Going back to Luke 24 and verse 47, that teach that repentance and remission of sins should be taught in my name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Luke, recording the book of Acts, repeated that instruction. Jesus told them, wait in the city. They waited 10 days, and the fulfillment of Jesus' instruction and prophecy came to fulfillment in exact detail. Ten days later, on Pentecost, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, those apostles, and they began to teach those men gathered there from all nations on that day, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What did they preach? They were teaching the gospel of Christ. And it was a scathing sermon for a great many of those Jewish men gathered there because they had rejected Jesus. And Peter's words are highlighted in Acts chapter 2. And he pulled no punches. He repeatedly convicted them of having crucified the Son of God, the Savior. Beginning with verse 36, we see a response on their part. Peter says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, cut to the heart, convicted in other words. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How should we respond to this lesson, to this teaching, to this understanding that we now have? And then Peter said to them, repent, you did not believe in Jesus as God's son and your Lord and Savior, the Messiah, prophesied in Old Testament scripture, come to earth. You need to believe in him. You rejected him, you need to accept him. You wouldn't follow him, you need to follow him. You would not become his disciple, you need to be baptized into him and become a Christ one, a Christian. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And about 3,000 became Christians on that day in Jerusalem, and the church came into being. Acts 2 and verse 41, then those who gladly received his word, who believed to the point that they were ready to obey, were baptized. And that day there were about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then note the connection with verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people in the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Those who were being baptized into Christ. If your church was established any other time, any time other than on that day, 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven and anywhere other than in the city of Jerusalem, then you're in the wrong church. Not because I say so, but scripturally, the scriptures say so. And then one more point I want us to consider. 
If your church believes and teaches and practices anything other than the true doctrine of Christ, you're in the wrong church. Mark was talking about some denominations that seem to have a difficult time really fully identifying themselves with Christ. Now, how in the world could they claim to be Christians without identifying themselves fully with Christ? God's word is emphatic on this matter. When we look at 2 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, John the Apostle writes, whoever transgresses and does not abide in, live in, live by the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Now you talk about a direct emphatic statement, that is one. He goes on and says, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Don't give him any encouragement along the line of his false teaching, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now, you see, again, truth is narrow. Truth is narrow. The gospel of Christ, and only the gospel of Christ, is the message of salvation. On that day, Jesus ascended back to heaven. He told the apostles, as Mark records the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. If you don't believe the gospel, condemnation is the result for you personally. And what is that gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, Moreover, brethren, the apostle Paul wrote, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, saved by that gospel message. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. And now he explains in a very succinct form the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah 53 being a classic example, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, in exact fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies of the coming Savior. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are many people in the denominational world who claim to be Christians who cannot tell you what the gospel really is? In Romans 1 and verse 16, again, it's central to our salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel message of our Lord and Savior coming to this earth from the throne room in heaven, bearing this message of forgiveness, redemption, and salvation, and eternal life through him, and his dying on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins, that if we will be baptized into him, the blood that he shed on that cross for us will cleanse us of the guilt of our sins, and we will be given eternal life. 
an eternal home with him in heaven. That's the message he came to bring to us. And it is a teaching that is true and exact. But teaching that does not conform to scripture is false teaching. False teaching. John 8, beginning with verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. In my word, according to my teachings, so we can't make it up on our own. We can't fly by the seat of our pants. We can't just decide, well, you know, this feels more comfortable for me to believe this over here, to think this over there. Jesus said, you have to live in my word, live by my word, guide your lives by my word. And that is, that is indicative of your being a true disciple of mine, a true follower of mine, a true Christian. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In John 17 and verse 17, he identified what that truth is. It is the word of God. The night of his betrayal, he prays to the Father. John 17, 17, he prays, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 3, the apostle Paul wrote, if anyone teaches otherwise other than the true gospel of Christ, the true word of God, and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which accords with godliness, then that person is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words which, which, with which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth." destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And so what does Paul instruct? From such withdraw yourselves. Truth is narrow. It always has been. It always will be. People need to wake up to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who calls him Lord, who claims to believe in him. Not even everyone who does that shall enter the kingdom of, of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He who is obedient to me, obedient to my teachings, obedient to God's word. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And look at this statement. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now they claim to be followers of Jesus. They claim to believe in Jesus, but they were not following him according to God's word. And Jesus says, therefore, I never knew you. You were never really with me. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with, four, uh, beginning with verse 4, notice the singularity of the truth that the gospel message bears. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, 
and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Oneness, singularity. When we think about God's word, some people will say, well, how do we know it's all? It, it, listen to what Jude wrote in, James, in Jude chapter one, verse three. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, Jude is saying, God has given us his word in complete form. There is no more Bible coming out there. There is no more scripture from God that we need to be looking for. The faith was once for all delivered to us. And so it's no wonder that John the Apostle wrote in Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Or if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And that's not the only place that is written down <clears throat> in one form or another. We can go back to Deuteronomy and find it once or twice. We can go to the Proverbs, find it again. We can go to Galatians chapter 1, find it again. And the basic principle is laid out for us continually. What did Jesus mean when he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. <clears throat> so we can't make up our word to replace his word and still be right with him. We need to recognize, where did your church come from? If your church was founded by anyone other than Jesus, you're in the wrong church. You can't call it Jesus' church. It was founded by somebody else. If your church was established any time other than 10 days after Jesus ascended back to heaven, and anywhere other than in the city of Jerusalem where he told the apostles to wait to be endued with power from on high, then you're in the wrong church. If your church believes and teaches anything other than the true doctrine of Christ, the true teachings of God's word, if his teachings do not conform to the scriptures, then you're in the wrong church. Does your church have the right founder? Does was it established at the right time and in the right place? Does it pass all of these tests that help us determine truthfulness as to what we believe and teach and practice? Do, does it believe and teach and practice the true doctrine of the gospel of Christ and of God's word? The answer to these questions is crucial because your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. If you'd like to study some more, if you'll just ask us, we'll do that or make, it, make a way for you to do that on your own if that's what you prefer. If you're ready to respond to the truth of God's word, to the true doctrine of Christ, to the gospel of Christ, in repentance and obedience, being baptized into him for the remission of your sins, we're ready to help you with that right now. Or if you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, if you'll let us know right away, either come forward or talk to us privately, we'll pray with you and for you.
right then. If you need to come, let us make that commitment to not just believe in something or not just to believe in a whole lot of somethings. Let us believe in the true gospel of Christ, the true word of God, and be committed to live thereby for the rest of our lives. Jesus said, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Romans, uh, Revelation 2 and verse 10. If you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing.